Today, here we go. My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 471, I think. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we are going to be being, we are going to be playing clips from a podcast that I've been listening to a lot, and Kathy has a little bit, a little bit less than me, I think. It's called the Waking Up Podcast by Sam Harris, and uh, he had this guy on. His name is Jonathan Height. Jonathan Height, and he wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind: How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. So, we're going to play some clips and just have a healthy discussion about that. Uh, but first, a quick take or two. Uh, one is we have two things that we want to talk about in our Zen store. One is our brand new winter hats with the, uh, you call it the pom-pom on the top? Sure. Is that what it is? Sure. Is it a pom or a pom-pom? It's, it's either. I think it's, I think it's a pom. Okay. Because I think pom-pom, I think of girls that are cheerleading. Or boys. They have... Well, I think the boys usually don't have the pom-poms. Yeah, that might be true. Um, um, it's called a ball. No, I don't think it's called People a ball. People say a ball on the, the top. The ball on the top of the hat. Sure, but our palm. So I, uh, I think they're wonderful hats. They're warm. They're wonderfully made. I wish the Zen Parenting logo stood out a little bit more blatantly. I don't. And my sweetie is all into subtle marketing. It's because then people can wear it without feeling like it's like sweetie, a, a, a I want them to be billboard. a walking billboard. No, it, so it's very subtle. It says ZPR, Zen Parenting Radio, and they're very, like Todd said, they're well made, they're warm, and they're really cute. So if you live in a, in an environment that requires a winter hat, keep your ears warm. I think you should get this hat. So. Now, if you're trying to get it as a holiday gift... Um, order it right away, and we'll do our best to get it to you. Yeah, like today, this podcast comes out on Tuesday. Order it Tuesday or Wednesday. We're thinking maybe Thursday, but I'm not so sure. I don't know. We're not sure if it's We're not sure it'll there. get to you on time because uh, Christmas Day is next Tuesday. Um, so that's the one thing. And we also have a new thing in our Zen store, and it's called Sex Education for the 21st Century. Yes. And it is an audio... Uh, clip not a clip no it's an audio class it's an audio class but you also can see it on vimeo there's a powerpoint presentation well not just the powerpoint but you can actually see the zen oh you can see the discussion and then it is included with a powerpoint so um if you want to have a good healthy discussion with yourself or your kids regarding sexuality you want to have a discussion with yourself it's 10 bucks well with your spouse um well, basically what it is, is it's a class that we offered a month or so ago. And just like the Zen talks that we do at Team Zen, we taped it. And a lot of people have been wanting it. So it's in the store. Yeah. So just, it's only about an hour long, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, um, yep. So anyways, those are two things in our Zen store, along with other awesome things like coffee mugs and books t-shirts. and t-shirts and things like that. So um, so the other thing, and sweetie, I don't know, I didn't tell you that I was going to talk about this, but I don't oh, think it'll no. be too big of a deal. Um, we were talking to our good friend, uh, Phil. And he is a waiter mm-hmm. and he, um, uh, one of his customers got mad at him for saying happy holidays. Yes. And, uh, I don't know, this is, I guess me wearing my judgment hat. Uh-oh. Anybody who gets mad when somebody says happy holidays, I struggle with that. Yeah. 
And I don't quite understand why that's an offensive Well, term. I think there was some rhetoric that was built up uh, about that somehow Christmas was being forgotten or taken away or that we were becoming too politically correct. And if you buy into that rhetoric, then when someone says happy holidays, you think they are somehow offending you. Yeah. That's in, and See, I'm calling think- it rhetoric because it's not necessarily true, but that was the that was a big political point. Yeah, and not to open up a can of worms here. Yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous because we're already talking about such a big I thing. Just, I just feel like I think the people who 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 have the right to be offended is somebody who says Merry Christmas to somebody who's not a Christian. Like I feel like that makes logical sense to me. Right. But happy holidays like an umbrella term. Right. So anyways. Well, I agree with you that one of the things that our friend said was that the reason, I mean, he said happy holidays because he probably does all the time, but he it was also the first day mm-hmm. of Hanukkah. Hanukkah. So he was, that so was he his, said that to yeah. them. He didn't say it in a disrespectful way. He said, well, today's the first day of Hanukkah, so I'm respecting yeah. that also. Um, and, and that's the thing is I don't think that when someone is saying happy holidays, they're attempting to offend or take away any of your beliefs Mm -hmm. or take away anything that you hold dear. Um, they're trying to cast a wider net to make sure that all the people they're around feel seen and valued and heard. And I think when we get easily, and this is kind of what we're talking about today on the show, easily offended by that. We miss the greater intention, which is not to somehow disrespect what you, uh, your traditions, but to say, I respect yours and theirs and hers and his and their, you know, so it's, it's kind of just a wider net. I, I think that's probably like whenever we do our holiday cards, I always say something like happy holidays or, you know, I think this year it says like marry everything, you know, it's kind of like. Everybody celebrates different things. Yeah. Let's just make space for everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because we are going to talk about something that we might have to dance around a little bit Maybe. to make sure that everybody feels comfortable because uh, the topic is... How about instead of to make everyone feel comfortable, to be respectful of, of everyone everybody's, who listens. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's this podcast called Waking Up, which I'm a big fan of. It's hosted by a guy named Sam Harris. Now, Sam is a very controversial person and he doesn't shy away from it and in that respect I do respect him I don't agree with everything everything he says there's plenty of things that I vehemently disagree with him on but on the whole he's interesting enough to me for me to listen to his podcast well and it's less about Sam and it's more about the discussions that he has with other people yeah. so what it is is a podcast where some when where two people actually have a intellectual exchange, a very well, uh, fact-based, mm-hmm. um, sometimes scientific yeah. um, exchange, historical exchange, where you are listening to different per- points of view. And the majority of the time, except for the Ezra Klein interview, yeah. um, it's very respectful. Yeah. Every and now so- and again, he goes, apparently he went sideways with uh, Noah Chomsky, like it oh, got nasty and ugly. I've only listened to about three of Sam's podcasts and they're, they were very intellectually stimulating. Yes. And he, they, yeah. So anyways, so the, so he interviewed a guy named Jonathan Haidt. Right. Is that how you pronounce? Yeah. Dax it's talked about. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Now he didn't like the title of that book. No. That he, he was allowed to name the subtitle, which he liked a lot better, which is How Good Intentions 
and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. So, um, so just real quick. So Sam is an Sam Harris is an American author, philosopher, neuroscientist, and he's also a critic of religion. That's what makes him controversial. That's what makes him controversial. And I think what also makes him controversial is the way he explains himself sometimes is a bit emotionless. Yes. So he doesn't sound very compassionate, which is the part that I don't love. I think you called him love. a floating brain, didn't you? He is a floating <laughs> brain. Like he's so he's so smart and and I I very rarely disagree with the research he brings forth and the his historical, you know, the historical significance yeah. of things. But sometimes he's just so like like even his affect is off yeah. when he's talking about things where I'm like, dude, yeah, like, like bring wake the up. heart into it. <laughs> but I, I downloaded his, I bought his app. It's called Waking Up. Mm -hmm. It's a meditation app. Yeah, he's a meditator. And it's really good. I'm right. a, and I was, I'm a fan of Headspace, but I'm also, so I encourage anybody who might be interested in any of the Sam Harris stuff to check him out because I think he's a, a really good use resource for some. Um, so they discuss on this podcast, so the he has long form interview podcasts, mm -hmm. so it's usually somewhere between an hour and two and a half hours. This one's about an hour and 40 minutes. And, and I will say you're, you're focusing a lot on Sam, yeah. but Jonathan Haidt was also on Dax Shepard's yes. podcast. He was on Armchair Experts. So I think more people listen to that. Oh, so they sure. might remember his so. interview. Yeah. Um, so, and the reason that Dax interviewed him is because he heard him on yeah. Sam Harris. So that's the, the connection. Todd and I have obviously listened to both um, and have a better understanding of this book. So in this podcast, um, and we're only going to play a few short clips. So this does not even come close to be able to communicate the totality of this discussion. No, We're just taking yeah, a few long. chunks of it. Uh, but they discuss the hostility to free speech that has grown more common among young adults, recent moral panics on campus, the role of intentions in ethical life, the economy of prestige in call-out culture, how we should, and so on and so forth. So that is kind of the gist of what they talk about. At least that's what is in the summary of the podcast notes. Yeah. So are we ready just to jump right in to sure. hear the first clip? Um, I think in this part... It, they touch on the term microaggression, and Kathy, and I are going to have a discussion. Did, are you sure? Well, you didn't pull that one up for me, so let's hear it and see what happens. Okay, all right. You deliberately, you need to know that and write that person off. If they harm you accidentally, it would be foolish to write them off. They, you know, everybody harms people accidentally. I mean, if you wrote off your family members, you know, when they offended you. Um, you know, or hurt your feelings, especially if they didn't mean to. You know, we, none of us would have any family. So I'm going to stop real quick. So what they're talking about is intention versus impact. So if somebody says something to somebody and they're not intending to harm them, uh, this author, Jonathan Haidt, is saying th that is not as much of a... He's saying don't write them off. Don't write them off. Um, so this is Jonathan Haidt speaking, and then Samuel, I think, will come in at the end. So we have to pay attention to intent. Uh, that's what matters to judge a person's character. But as I said, this is not a game. This is not really about what happens between the offender and the offended. This is a game of what happens between the offended and all the other, all the other people that the offended person is signaling to. So I don't know how much that's going to make sense to the people that didn't hear the entire uh, interview, which is most people listening to this podcast. But earlier in the podcast, they tell a story about how this um, woman on a college campus was offended by something her dean by something said. her dean said, or I think it was a president of the university. 
which was if you were to read what the president, and let's just be really general okay. because I want people to listen to it on their own and sure. use their own language. But the president, the the student did not feel like she belonged on campus. Um, she felt like she was somewhat of an outsider because of her race, her, her socioeconomic status, a bunch of other things. She wrote to the president. The president wrote back and said, you know, we really want to work on this and mm-hmm. I want to have a conversation with you about it. But she ended by saying something like, um, you know, we want to talk about the, you know, outside of our typical model, mm-hmm. or she used a word that made it sound like this girl was outside of the typical model yeah. of student. And I think when the, and I, actually, I don't know what the president was thinking, but the way I read it was, you're right. We have kind of this, you know, old school version of what a student looks like, and we need to expand mm-hmm. our awareness. And when the student received that email, she was very offended by it, saying, you're telling me I'm different. Yeah. Um, and then it, that student rallied support right. via social media and called out for this dean or this president's president to be job. fired. Yeah. And it was, um, I don't know what the word is, but the reaction of this, what I think the, the president's or the dean's um, intention. Res- intention was, let's help you figure this out and let's make things better. But she used a word that was negatively received. Mm -hmm. And then that's what he talks about at the end of the clip that we just played is it's not necessarily about the offender and the person who gets offended. It's about the person who gets offended and how much they, that person can rally support to kind of make a big fuss and try to get somebody's job. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that the, the thing it's interesting because we talk a lot about intention and impact. And I think within a intimate relationship, intention and impact is really important. Mm -hmm. So the example that Todd was just giving about a student and a president of a university, that's not an intimate relationship there. There's something different there. When you are talking with your spouse and they say something that offends you, even if it wasn't their intention, they still offended you, right? Because usually the people that we are um, closest to are the ones that can trigger us the most, okay? Um, They are the ones that can kind of, they know our Achilles heel, they can push our buttons the most. It's just, that's family, right? Right. You know, we just, the people we care about the most. Um, And I think it's important to value impact regardless of intention. I think that is a valuable thing. Now, but what I also think is sometimes missing from these discussions is we can be impacted. Like, let's go back to the other story of the student who is offended by the dean's words or the president's words. I think that it needs to be spoken that she's offended because she is. And then I think there's two pieces of it. Number one, letting the person who offended you speak for them, have a, being able to say to them personally, you offended me and continuing that discussion. I also think it's important for the person who was offended. And again, this is remember a self-awareness podcast to look at why it was offended, offensive and recognizing, is this true? Um, is this something of mine? Is it theirs? Is this old? Am I, is this transference? Is this like, you have to do a little bit of self-investigation when you, and, and this is even in an intimate relationship. When I'm offended by you, I really, I may not be able to do it in the moment because, you know, I'm feeling the emotions are high, but I have to do some self-investigation why what your words said offended me. Mm -hmm. It could be how I feel is fine. 
It's not about being all judgmental of myself, but why I feel that way. Look inward. Look inward and Mm -hmm. communicate with you that that offended me and give you more of an insight to myself. So I think think the thing that, again, I I just want to put... The reason why this conversation is difficult is that it's that again, that false dichotomy again, or it's the pendulum again, where it swings way too far one way or way too far the other way, or the dichotomy of either intention is important or it's not. Yeah. And it's, it is important, but there's this piece of common sense that's so valuable. So my two cents, I think you're exactly right, is that it's, first of all, two things. One is every situation is different. Absolutely. Like that's what you and I concluded is like, okay, this situation between a fight between myself and my wife is one situation. And then there's another situation where a kid on a college campus gets triggered or gets, you know, rightfully, wrongfully upset because of what a president or a dean said. Every situation is different and you need to look at every situation with new eyes. in a vacuum. Yeah, exactly. Having said that, there is this pendulum and you just said that. I kind of feel like all four of these clips that Have we're going to play, thing, yeah. there's a pendulum and... Isn't is is impact important? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. But is intention at least a variable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what he says is like, you know, somebody is walking by in the street and accidentally kind of like looks down and all looks down or or they accidentally bump into you, but they didn't mean to do it. Like I feel like that ought to be received differently than the guy walking down the street and purposely kind of shoves into you. Right. The same exact thing happened, but what was the intention of that person? One accidentally bumped into you, and the other was being a jerk. Right. Those are two completely different things. Well, and that's the thing is I think also it's what the end result is because what they're talking about in that clip, and like you said, it, it's not completely understand. You know, everybody who is listening may not understand the full scope of what he's saying, but it's also how it ends because there's a lot of this person said this, they offended me. I don't care what their intention is, and now I'm going to write them off. Mm-hmm. That whole model seems a little broken. Yeah. Do you know? And and it doesn't mean every piece of that is important, but you know, you can even if somebody said something overtly offensive, there is a way to approach it and say this, there can be a discussion there Mm -hmm. about what happened. Now, if someone is being, and this is where it gets so difficult, if someone is being continuously overtly offensive on purpose, that's their intention, that's toxicity. That's somebody who you definitely, and when I say write them off, you definitely probably don't want to include them in your daily existence. Remove yourself. So there there is no like, this is what you do every time. There's like, there's this kind of person, there's this kind of, there's this kind of situation. and I think that's what we always like to talk about on this show is that you have to take a wider look at everything because we're going to get deeper into things about women and about um, women of color, especially, and how things are can be received um, and have some understanding mm-hmm. of that, of understanding why someone might say you offended me. And you, like, for example, you may not understand, but that's because you're a white man. Yeah. It's not because you're a bad person. You literally don't understand. I have not experienced. I've not walked through the world as a woman or a man of color or a woman of color. So it's hard for me to have that 
perspective. And so you may say, well, my intention was to be funny and I didn't really intend to hurt, but I want to be able to say whatever I want to say. And then there's a sense of a a woman or a woman of color saying, well, wait a second, you don't even understand the implications of Mm. what you're saying, how it affects me, how how it affects the culture. And that is a necessary conversation, you know, so. Yeah. And I think in the end, what all I want to do is maybe encourage us all to just make sure that intention is at least a variable that needs to be considered. Correct. Doesn't mean that, oh, if somebody didn't mean to do something, then then you shouldn't stand up and and take care of yourself and call for some change. But just make sure that uh, intention is at least a consideration. Well, another big part of this podcast that and another big part of our culture right now is is in in, and I guess this is not just one specific generation, but there is uh, some prestige mm-hmm. in being someone who calls someone out. It's like a social. It uh, is. You There's, climb the social ladder. In and and sometimes it's very warranted because it's like someone who did something that no one else would do, who was finally the whistleblower, who stood up, who did something so brave. Mm -hmm. And so there's a warranted prestige. There's like a, wow, that person started like, you know, the, the Larry Nassar thing, you know, the woman named Rachel, I can't remember her last name off the top of my head, but she was the first person who said enough, enough, enough. And that created a domino effect of all these other, uh, a real domino effect of all these other young girls and women who had been abused. She was the first. And so there, that prestige makes a lot of sense. Right. But sometimes um, and we all have heard these stories, you know, and they're played on this podcast. There's, there's a prestige in, I am going to call something out, yeah. um, that maybe wasn't the, either true for me or mm-hmm. something to kind of gather the truth. Yes. Um, and I'm trying to get more attention. Yes. It's and and that's there is, see, both of those things exist. It's just like when we talk about, well, I don't even want to go down that path. There are so many places we could go here, but I like both of those things have happened and they're both real and we have to be, this is where we get into common sense again and keeping our brains on and our hearts open Mm -hmm. and, you know, keeping our mind thinking and understanding how things affect each other and understanding all that. And at the same time, keeping our hearts open and being like, this is another human being. Um, They are hurting or on the other side, they made a mistake. It's like we, it's, it's, we're polarized about it. Yeah. Well, I think our brains want to see the world in black and white. We do. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that comes from the, you know, however many millions of years we've been evolving as human beings or however many hundred, I don't know how long well, humans have The brain loves there. simplicity. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so are you ready for clip number two? I am. All right. That's right. So we call it the culture of safetyism. So safety is a good thing in general, especially physical safety. But with kids born after 1995, they've been raised, again, this is not their fault. We raised them with very little playtime, much more uh, school time. So they didn't have much, nearly as much chance to play. And when they could play, um, it was supervised. Then 9-11 comes along and we tell them the world's dangerous, full of terrorism. Um, Anti-bullying programs come along. Adults are now much more active in regulating their conflicts. By the time we reach the early 2000s, we start hearing the first reports of parents who are arrested uh, when their kids are found in a park without an adult supervisor. So kids born after 1995 were really raised differently from kids before. Yeah. 
I think that's true. Yeah. Um, I think that, and there's reasons why. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even saying all the reasons were 100% correct. Like one of the things we talked about on the show a while ago was the fact that, you know, when um, Adam Walsh was kidnapped when we were younger, when we were in, uh, you know, teenagers, and then unfortunately he was found uh, murdered. Mm -hmm. And his dad created, John Walsh then created America's Most Wanted. And all of a sudden, as a culture, we started to believe that this was everywhere. Yeah. It did happen. It happened to Adam, and he wasn't the only kid it happened to, but the percentage and the statistic was way low. But all of a sudden, our culture became very connected to the FBI most wanted list. And we started to see that everywhere. That changed the way we would be with our kid because, unfortunately, I think Adam disappeared at a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, it would be like, "You got to hold my hand. You got to stay next to me," or a park, or and we just started changing the way we viewed our children's safety. Well, and and in this part of the interview, which we didn't play, he just kind of expounds on that is how over generally speaking, we are so overprotective of our children. Like you know, we talk about. You know, we grew up in the late seventies and the early eighties, and we, when we we left the house, we were gone, right? right? But now we don't do that. And he talks about a few different societal factors, like we're having less kids, and we used to have like twelve kids. Yeah, I used to have and, twelve yeah. kids. Like you can't chase them all at once. Right. So like, ah, oh, whatever. The older kids will take care of themselves. But now, you know, most of us have one, two, three, four at the most kids, except for you parents who really like to five and six pick up their game and go five or six but so we and i love the part where he says it's not the kid's fault because so often and that's where i get triggered like oh kids aren't the same these days well one i don't think that's true but secondly even if it were true it's not their fault we were the them. ones in yeah. charge of raising them so anyways um and we've talked about that so i don't think we need to spend a ton of time well on that and i think the thing is is thinking about it like i as a culture we have been um there's you know it's like this is the same thing with the the pendulum of things are better or things are worse. Mm-hmm. And and it's all in the middle. Like mm-hmm. we have more information. So we are a little more frightened about what could happen because every day we see things that do happen yeah. everywhere around the world. We see a lot of pain. Now at the same time, the, the statistics are that crime is less, you know, that there aren't as many kidnappings as there were in when we were, uh, you know, in the seventies, but we see more. So it's, it's just this, like, I don't know if it's a vacillation. It's just like this, we have to, when we do send our kids to the park and they are old enough to go. And again, what does that mean? Every parent's going to be like, well, when are they old enough? But I guess to trust in the fact that it's okay that well, they're there. And his book is The Coddling of the American Mind. And, you know, he he mostly talks about college campus right. events. But in this, he's talking about how do we parent our kids when they're in their adolescence. Yeah. And I do believe that we kids learn from failure and we... Risk-taking. Risk-taking. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think is undervalued at this point because we got to make sure our kids get the A's. So because God forbid, if they get a B, then they're not going to get into this college or that college. And I think it's less about the grades and more about, can they walk to 7-Eleven by mm-hmm. themselves? Yeah. Can can I let them walk around the mall yeah. with their friend and not think that something horrible is going to happen? Can I um, let them take the train into Chicago and trust that they'll figure it out? Mm-hmm. And, and these are tough decisions for two reasons. Number one, because of the the amount of information we have about what could happen. And number two, because other parents are judgmental of other parents. Yeah. So he mentioned on that clip that there, there have been 
children who have been maybe walking to the park and parents, other parents. And again, let's talk about intention. It, they're coming from the heart, right? Yeah, they want the kid to be they safe. They want the kid to be safe, but they call the police because be- these kids are alone. Because an eight-year-old is walking to the park. Exactly. And that's a really confusing, like, do you see, this is what I like to do is like pull it all apart and look at all the pieces. And you're like, okay, here's some caring parents. Here's some other caring parents who are trying to give their child an opportunity to do something on their own. And it is, and and here's the thing. This is where the extreme version is the police get called, the police get angry. The person who called the police says, I'm judging you, Mm -hmm. you're bad parents. The best case scenario is a parent who's concerned, calls the police and then says, oh, you know where you're going and your parents know where you are. Okay. I'm sorry. I got involved, but we never hear those stories. And again, I don't even know if calling the police is necessary, but my point is, is that there are, there is a happy medium in there somewhere where we're, we're supporting each other's kids without being highly judgmental of each other. You know, what's interesting is I was going to say, you know, it's different now because of the phone. Right. Our kid went into the city yesterday. She's got a phone. Something happens. She's going to call us. And she's with two other girls. Yeah. Right. Um, So in that respect, like we should give them more of a leash because they have unbelievable amount of accessibility. Like they have a GPS on their phone in case they get lost. While at the same time, the phone is so much of a crutch that like, you know, and I think it was in the Dax interview um, where he's like, my kid um, was supposed, he was supposed to walk to the park by himself. And, uh, and because he had a phone, he didn't have to ask anybody. anybody for help. So the phone is such a crutch that you don't want to talk to anybody ever because we teach it. Strangers are scary. Right, right. And 99.9% of the people out there are not going to harm our kids. Right. But yet we say, don't talk to strangers. Right. And what an awful message to our kids. Well, it's not an awful message. It is a, because again, this is where you got to live in the middle of it because it isn't an awful message to say, don't talk to strangers because there are a few people out there that if you engage with them, they could take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. Now, like you said, it's not the majority. There is this place in the middle. (laughs) It's like our show becomes like, we should change it to in the gray. Yeah. Um, Because where you say to your kids, be thoughtful about talking to people you don't know. One thing that's been really important to me with talking to my kids about this is if you feel uncomfortable talking to someone, listen to that. Yeah. I really believe in gut instinct. Yeah. I really believe in that we, that's something that we unfortunately sometimes uh, not intentionally, but we beat out of our kids because they'll have an opinion or a feeling about something and we'll say, no, 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 you're wrong. Yeah. And if we, I, we're, we are created with those instincts. We're an animal. Mm-hmm. And so when we say, oh, our kid wouldn't be smart enough, it's not intelligence. Yeah. It's a sense of, I don't feel safe with this person. Yeah. And again, even that can go off the rails because mm-hmm. one of the clips that you're going to play next is about that emotions, yeah. that we we give emotions too much weight, which mm-hmm. I don't always agree with. But I guess my point is, is that I have taught my kids a little bit of both. And I think it's important that mm-hmm. you can go ask, you know, I, I've been very big when my girls were little and we'd go to a museum or something, I'd say, go up to a mom with kids yeah. and tell them that you're lost. And that was kind of, that's that's a stranger, but there's some parameters around right. it. Or yeah. go up to someone with a badge who works here. Yeah. And so they don't have to be like, I can't talk to anyone I don't know, because that's stifling. Yeah. But you can't, but there are some kids, Todd, that are 
that are we had pretty shy kids growing yeah. up, meaning all three of them kind of would. It took a while for them to, but um, there are some kids who will talk to anybody. Oh yeah, and I've met some of these kids, sure. and they have to learn to be more discerning mm-hmm. or practice being more discerning. So bottom line is everything is in the middle. Everything is a pendulum. An individual. Yeah, exactly. All right, you ready for number three? I am. Second great untruth. Perhaps you want to introduce it. Yeah, sure. So the second great untruth is the untruth of emotional reasoning, which is always trust your feelings. Now, this is the exact opposite of ancient wisdom from every culture I've looked at. So here's Epictetus. Uh, What really frightens and dismays us is not external events themselves, but the way in which we think about them. It is not things that disturb us, but our interpretation of their significance. And it's a great truth because you find it in many cultures. Here's Buddha. Our life is the creation of our minds. With our minds, we make the world. Uh, here's Shakespeare in, in uh, Hamlet. Uh, there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So, you know, we, we, we choose how to interpret things. We have a lot of leeway in how to interpret things. There are a lot of ambiguous things in the world, and we get to choose. Am I going to take this as a personal attack? Or am I going to brush it off and say the person probably didn't mean it as a personal attack? Okay, so before we, because you and I both disagree with this piece. A little bit of it, but yeah. But before we do that, can, can we just kind of summarize what he's saying? So what he's saying is right now, um, the way that he thinks our culture is set up is that we are putting way too much weight into how we feel about yeah. our safety. Emotional well-being. Rather than our literal safety. Physical well-being. So he's saying, historically speaking, we did have things where we were unsafe. Like, for example, we would, you know, the way we'd walk to school is on a railroad track. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There yeah. was a physical safety issue sure. there. Um, and now, because we have so many safety measures put into place, now the way that we deal with safety is through how we feel, which there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't completely disagree with him. There has been so many physical, I mean, you wouldn't see kids walking on the railroad tracks now. I'm not saying they don't. Right. I'm not, you know, but I'm we, at, at summer camp, that's how we all, like exactly. the counselors. That's, we used to hang out on them. Yeah. And now there's all these rails and people and it, there's more of an issue around it. Yeah. And so, so because- we've been, we've been doing a better job of protecting the physical, physical safety of our yes. kids. And because of that, I think he's saying, well, then we have to feel unsafe some other place and it's emotional safety. And he's thinking that um, we're being deceived that emotional safety isn't as important as physical safety. You said is as important, is not as isn't, important. but is. And I think what I, my opinion of this two senses, is emotional safety, this is tricky. I don't know if I'll be able to explain this well, but if, if you are a minority and you uh, don't feel safe because of not threats to your physical being, but because you're being called a bad name because of what you look like. Or being judged. That's a real thing. And I think he's saying it's not. I think what he's saying is he keeps using the word choose. Yeah. And I disagree. As a therapist, I disagree with the word choose. You can't Because I don't think we always choose how to feel. I think some things are more layered than that. I think things are based on past trauma, um, the way we were taught, where we grew up, um, our lack of experiences. Um, I think some of it is we feel a certain way because of nature and nurture. And we can't always say, oh, that made me mad. Oh, stupid me. I shouldn't be mad. I'm going to choose to not be mad. It's not that easy. And and again, I'm, I don't want to put down, you know, Jonathan, you know, height. He's done all this research. Sure. It, But my... 
sometimes my because of the this whole okay how do I say this we're such a logically based society and that's a very white male mm-hmm. presence yes okay you know this works so let's do this this is how you make more money so let's do this who cares about this there's like a fast or like a constantly going forward if it if it makes sense logically you do it and what is often left out of that equation is the heart piece mm-hmm. And, and again, for those of you who are hearing that who are male, I'm not saying men don't have a heart. I'm talking about the masculine model. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about men per se. I'm talking about the masculine model is logical, pragmatic, practical, full speed ahead. And what's left out is the feeling component, the heart component, and that we all, that that needs to be taken into account. Like, let me just use an example. We talk about like with taxes or with how we charge people or healthcare. Well, that makes sense. That's fair. That's how, and and we, we forget, and it actually doesn't make sense, but we do everything on paper and we forget about the people mm-hmm. and how, how a person feels doing it. Sure. We're like, but it makes sense on paper, therefore it should work. Right. And I think that, it, you know, and again, I'm sh- I can throw up some examples of where what he's saying is true, like the person walking down the hall who bumps into you, mm-hmm. and we feel like we were, you know, that it, it was inappropriate or that we were hurt, even though they didn't really intend to, nor did it really hurt physically that bad, and we get really upset about it. Okay, maybe that's an overreaction, yeah. but it you got to be so careful with this because if you feel something. It's true. Well, and and what I was going to say, because I'm going to counterbalance this in a second, but, okay. but physical, you know, sticks and stones. Mm-hmm. I think emotional wounds are as impactful as physical wounds. As, as and I. I feel like this author who, by the way, I agree with a lot of the things he says in this interview, but in this specific part, I think he's understating the impact of emotional wounds. Absolutely. Or emotional safety mm-hmm. or emotional well-being. But to to counteract my point is that I do also think that we do need to create, as a society, a bigger space for other people's opinions. Yes. I don't feel like we do. And he talks about, you know, Gen Y and how Gen Y, you know, Generation Y. Generation Y, yeah. um, Are are so quick to judge like, oh, and whatever, Ann Coulter's coming to our campus, she can't come because I disagree with her or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's a tough one to use her because that's there's a lot of hate speech in what she says too. Right, and and then we got to talk about what exactly what is, is her message? Right. Yeah. What is hate speech? What is she saying in that speech? Because right. it's a person I happen to dis- disagree with 99% of what she says. 100. <laughs> I don't know, maybe she likes snicker bars. Okay, 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 good, okay. have 1%. But um, I do feel like we are in this place at times where we are hypersensitive. And I do feel like there's value in allowing for somebody who I wholeheartedly disagree with to be able to speak. Well, and that gets into a whole, and I think that's what he's talking about is the reason that these things are so difficult to talk about. And I really do hope you guys listen to the podcast with Dax and and the podcast with Sam Harris. So you can kind of listen to the whole thing because Todd and I are just taking pieces out here. But there, absolutely, Todd, there's some truth to that, that this model of thinking what I feel is most important Mm can grow into something that isn't healthy, which is anything that makes me uncomfortable doesn't belong. Right, exactly. And that's not true. It's not healthy. Because it's not just about us. Now, when I feel something, it is important because I'm feeling it. 
but it doesn't mean it becomes truth for all people. It is my experience. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that anybody who wants to speak in front of a group of students should because it may not be valuable, it may be harmful, but I don't think that having a political, like a difference in ideology is mm -hmm. enough of a reason. Like we have, part of the whole reason you go to university is to hear different perspectives. Well, in my example is in my senior year of religion class in high school, we took a whole semester class about disproving Jesus's miracles. Now I went to an all boys Jesuit Catholic high school where they talk about how Jesus is the savior and everything else. Yet we, we, for an entire semester, they told us about, well, when Jesus fed the 5,000, actually what he did was he convinced a few people to share their bread and fish. And then those people convinced to start sharing. And then all of a sudden, whereas when I was seven years old, learning about that, that Jesus fed the 5,000, that he just created out of thin air, a bunch of fish and bread. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, a, a sem as a semester course, basically completely contradicting what, everything else I had been taught. And the reason they did that was so that when I did find myself in a place to have a discussion that I'd be prepared to be able to answer these really hard questions. Yeah. So I, I'll always remember that class and I think there was value to it. So I think the bottom line is that there is a pendulum here and there's certain things that ought not to be said. Um, but and that's and that's always the hard part. Um, what are those things? Is because and that and right and which is why we have to take things uh, one by one. Like why, like you said, there is um, there is a every experience, every like campus, every you know the people who are on the campus, why the person is coming to speak and what the person is saying, what their intention is, if they're actually trying to teach people something because if some, like, again, I go back to kind of my baseline, which the language I got from Brene Brown, which is if you're dehumanizing yeah. people, I don't really want to listen to you. Mm -hmm. If you are saying they are bad or they, or if they, and so, and that's hard because right now that's a part of a political ideology and there is a dehumanization and we, that's why things are so challenging right now. One of the many reasons, there's right. many reasons, but I don't, you know, and it's not about, I don't want to listen to you. I write you off as a human being, but if you're sitting here telling me that this group or this race or this gender isn't as inherently valuable, yeah. that's dehumanization. Right. And, and I don't, and for what I'm about to say, it does not work in the example that you okay. just said, which is the dehumanization, but let's just say it's somebody that we wholeheartedly disagree with for whatever reason. It's not like, to use these university campus examples, it's not like the university is forcing everybody to go listen to this person. That's true. You could just stay in your dorm room or go to the bar or go to the library, do any uh, number of other things and not go see this person speak. And I feel like that is uh, part of where I think things have gotten a little bit. I think the fear is, is, is are you indoctrinating a new group of people? Yeah. Are you giving this person a platform to teach something dehumanizing to a group of young minds? And the counterpoint to that is if you don't let them speak, they'll go underground and become even more vibrant. You know what I think? Is that true though? I, I don't do you know. know that for I sure? think the best thing you can do is ignore yeah. as opposed to 
to shoot them down and say, you may not come? Well, and again, let me kind of veer off of that because okay. I don't have a lot of good answers sure. for how to manage that. Yeah. I, there are some people who said, who even, there are news stations who are supposed to be called news that I think say really horrible things that I wouldn't want my children listening to sure. because it's, and not, you know, it's not about political ideology. Again, I want my children to hear different points of view and different, you know, like my oldest daughter, um, she had a, a good friend about a month ago who had completely different political ideology than we did. And they had an awesome discussion. Sure. And my daughter came home and said, wow, I totally understand this, this, and this now. And that's great. That's what, that's what growth is. That's maturity. I don't need my daughter to only speak my talking points. Right. I want her to think for herself and come up with like, here's what we believe and why. But Okay, do you remember, and again, there's so many movies like this, but do you remember the movie and the play Doubt? Sure. Okay. Part of the reason that I loved that and and love that whole kind of setup, that narrative, it wasn't just about that movie and that play, but is that it's healthy to doubt. It's healthy. It's good. To doubt your, to doubt your own ideas? To, it is. If you really believe in something. You've got to be able to question them. You've got to be able to question them. Like, I... In, in in that story, it, it was about a priest and yeah. these nuns. And again, it gets into religion and even questioning your own religion, like your class. Sure. And for me, that has been, I've had a few, uh, two, three, four dark nights of the soul, which I think we all have in different, I, that's the language I use, but it's basically where your certainty completely goes away. Mm -hmm. And like something is either the rug is pulled out from under you or you see something differently or you have an experience that you go, well, everything I believed has gone away. Yeah. And so you kind of go down a rabbit hole of not being sure. And those are like essential points of our life yeah. where you have to go, what do I believe? Because I don't know anymore. And that is where I found new foundations of awareness about myself and other people. Before I was very, and I don't even know if I would say Your this. foundation crumbled, which allowed for a new foundation to show up. And not necessarily a new ideology, mm -hmm. but an expanded vision of how things really work. A different capacity for empathy, yes. all that stuff. Where I said, wait a second, all these things I used to say, do, believe, they're not true. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Yeah. And and being like, wait a second, I've been judging these people based on this and it wasn't true. So the doubt expanded me. Yeah. It made me, it didn't necessarily, from the outside, you probably wouldn't see any difference. But from the inside, I got cracked open and it allowed in a lot more light and that was essential to my belief system because a lot of times, even when I say belief system, I see the imagery in my head of an ideology or a dogma that you don't sway from. And that can be not a great thing. Yeah. That can be kind of something that makes you disregard other people. It can make you believe that your way is the only way, and it may keep you from learning. Totally hear you. And, and one last thing before we play the last clip yeah. is uh, another problem with the world that we live in right now in regards to social media is I could tell you my Facebook feed is, is riddled with things that I love and enjoy and people I agree with. Mm -hmm. I choose not to put the other side of the political party in my newsfeed. And but that, you have friends who are on the other side of the political party and you don't hide them. No, of course right, not. Right. But I'm just talking about, but I th I'm, I'm more speaking generally, like the problem is that our belief system gets reinforced based upon how we, where our Twitter feed is mm -hmm. or where our social, where our mm -hmm. Facebook 
feet is. Whereas 30 years ago, let's say I'm a Republican, I live right next to a bleeding heart Democrat. You loved him. You yeah. loved him and you talked about him, and, and, but we don't do that well, as much anymore. And even I'm going to question that because I think, yes, I think you're right. And I, and I obviously lived in that time and, and I, you know, Todd and I have talked about how in college we didn't even know what anyone's political ideology yeah, was. Like care. we didn't care. Right. So yes, that is true. But I also believe sometimes we romanticize the past and true. say, if it could just be like that, but yeah. we weren't talking about anything then. Yeah. So I'm actually more of an activist now than I was in maybe my more activist type years, which would have been college. And I think it's time. Like mm-hmm. we, it, meaning that we need to have more of a conversation about what we really believe because we may have lived next door to someone who did heinous things. Right. And we were like, well, I, that's not my business. Mm-hmm. Well, it actually is right. because if they're hurting other people, so we romanticize our history. Well, I, I agree with that. Having said that, I do think that I'm still don't think I'm very good at say I'm at whatever a dinner party or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I voted for this guy, and th- and that's not who I voted for. I'm still not really good at like, oh, tell me why you did that. Like I'm more like remove myself from it because I don't want to deal with it. You're not. You, th- I think you're saying that, and you may think I'm that, but <laughs> who have we? We haven't removed ourselves from anybody. I didn't remove myself, but you stay away from that topic. You may stay away from the topic, but you like I. We've talked about this so much on the show. Like you just went to lunch with two of your guy friends, um, who happened to ha- have a different political ideology, and you had a good time. And you kind of you asked them a little bit about it, but it wasn't really a part of your discussion, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That goes back to what you were just saying of the good old days where we didn't make that an issue. But you love these guys. I and love it does- them, but I don't typically talk to them about their beliefs because I know that I am in contrast with those things. So we stay, I stay away from it. Yeah. I, and again, you, you know, only, you know, your conversation. I just know that the few people that, uh, two of my really good friends, um, who believe different than I do politically, I did ask them mm-hmm. like, and, and, but then that's the thing is that, that, you know, we, gosh, this is just gets so repetitive, but I ask them, I, first of all, it's easy for me to love them because they're, they're from, I've known them forever. Yeah. So it's, I, there's nothing that's going to keep me from them. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, but I do ask them, what do you see that I don't see? Mm-hmm. One of the things that, um, that I learned about, and maybe it was in this interview, but I've heard it many times before is the truth is, is that, uh, both, you know, if you look at both sides of the spectrum, if we're dividing up into halves where, you know, some people are Mm -hmm. blue and some people are red, that both of us have believed that there's a moral standard that we need to uphold in our country. What happens though, is what, uh, someone who tends to be more, uh, right leaning, what their moral standard means. It's different than, what the blue standard is. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could read it for you yeah. because a lot of times we'll say this, these people have no morals and this people, these people do. That's not true. There's just a different. Yeah. Like there were categories, like one was security, yeah, and one loyalty, was, yeah. um, patriotism. And, and again, even those words, yeah. we could break the, yeah. everything can just be broken down where it's like, what does patriotism mean right. to you? Because to one guy, it means one thing to one girl. It means something completely exactly. different. Exactly. And, and so these things are so, we can't shove them into boxes. Yeah. We can't shove people into boxes. We can't shove every university into a box. We can't shove millennials into a box or Generation Y or uh, Generation X. We can't say people are all like this. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah. If there's one thing that we could take from this book or this discussion is that we got to take people one by one. 
and situation by situation. We really do. And and that it can be difficult because and I don't do that very well. I say things like, Well, you're a white male. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I like right. throw you just label me. But what I'm trying to say with that is that and again, there you you could pull this apart, but there are some things that I think because of the way you were raised and the privilege you came in with, you can't possibly understand. I'm not saying you can't empathize with, but you have never experienced what a woman or a woman of color or even a man of color has experienced. And it doesn't make you a bad person. What it and does, it also though, doesn't mean that I don't have troubles either, because when we have those discussions, they're like, well, I have troubles. And uh, I got good language from someone about this, and I can't remember who said it, but they said, but race and the color of your skin is not one of your troubles. Mm-hmm. So you can yeah. take that off your list. Right. That is, or, or gender yeah. is not one of your troubles, or your sexuality. Yeah. And I'm not saying any of those things mean trouble. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that that doesn't cause you any trouble. Three big things that I don't, don't have, have to, to worry think about. about. And so for people who their sexuality is either fluid, or they're gay, or uh, lesbian, or trans, or if they're transgender, meaning they're, you know, the their, the body that they came in with is different than how they feel, or if the color of their skin is different, if black or brown, they have a different experience in this country than you do. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, I have troubles too, of course you do. Yeah. Every human being has troubles. The wealthiest people in the world who have everything that you think, they have troubles. But race and money and maybe gender are yeah. not the issues they deal with. Right. That's what we're trying to talk about is not who has it worse, but can you see, can you be curious about the issues you've never had to confront? Right. Because what we say is, if I were you, that wouldn't bother me. Now, wait a second. You don't know what that's like. You have no idea what that's like. You never walk down the street near a construction site and get catcalled. And the other one is going bringing in the last, um, you know, thing that he brought up where he said, well, you can just choose to not feel that. Now, no, you put can't. yourself in someone who has maybe has yeah. chemical wiring that they're schizophrenic yeah. or they're bipolar or they have dealt with so much trauma or PTSD where their reaction to things is not in present time. You can't just tell them, yeah. choose differently. That's the big part that I don't agree with this author on in that regard. His Mental like, wellness Yeah, is he not. just thinks he could turn on and off or decide whether or not something is impactful to you. You know, if you get, you know... If you're walking near a construction site and you get hurt, then that's a physical safety thing. So then that's okay. Right. Yeah. You, you can be upset about that, but you can't get upset about getting catcalled walking down a construction site. Choose to feel differently. Choose to feel differently. And that's not fair because yeah. there's a bigger thing happening. And then again, and I know you want to do the last one, but this is a really important thing to say. When something is said to a person who is oppressed or a minority, it is bigger than just those words. There's a cultural consideration that is being perpetuated. Mm-hmm. And that is, so it's not just about that incident. It's about the experience of that person in the world and about our, the way our culture treats people. Well, and 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 every thing that they've had to deal with, it builds. Like- it absolutely builds. And and we perpetuate it by not calling it out. Yeah. So this is, one. sorry, this is so important. So when we talk about call-out culture, 
there is a need to call things out. Like one of my biggest, uh, was, I've been listening to a lot of, so many different interviews with Rebecca Traster who wrote uh, about rage, women's rage. And one thing that, that she takes notice of is when, when right away, if a group of women are calling out either one man or a group of man, uh, men for doing something, and then the men will say a mob is coming after me. Yeah. And she's like, okay, so women are saying, you did this to me and here was my experience and now we're mobs. Yeah. Like, we aren't saying go to jail. We're saying you sexually assaulted me. And other women are saying I was sexually assaulted, too, or I know what that's like. And all of a sudden the men are like, it's a mob. Yeah. Well, and and it's... we uh, and she was interviewed by Sam. Yes. Which was really powerful interview. And I'll include that. In She's the... been on everybody's podcast. You could just like Google her name. And, you know, this is totally tangential and we'll kind of bury us in this thing. But uh, Sam brought up the Matt Damon thing when he said the wrong thing about the the nuances between uh, date rape and a minor sexual... And the way he said it is, I hope women understand that there's a difference between a really bad, monsterish guy and a guy who's making mistakes occasionally. Right. And then um, <laughs> a lot of the response from many people is like, Matt Damon got killed for that. Right. Like, oh, people and just she, beat up Matt and, Damon. And Rebecca, Rebecca's like... How has he suffered as a result of that? He hosted Sarah, and I love Matt Damon, by the way, um, but he was on Saturday Night Live last night. Uh-huh. He keeps making movies. Like, how deeply did this impact him? He got, he felt bad He online. felt bad <laughs> online. So anyways. Well, and possibly could we look at it, I'm not for him being like constantly bullied or again, deciding that he's a horrible person because he said something wrong. Sure. But he did say something wrong. Right. And so how do we tell him? And again, some people go way too far, but there is a moment where saying you are, you, maybe what you're trying to say sounds good to you and your intention is good, but the way it's coming across is a bit condescending yeah. to women. Cause first of all, you're telling us how we should view everything. Yeah. And then you're also saying to us, I hope you understand the difference as if we don't, mm-hmm. of course we do, but there is a spectrum and all everything along the spectrum Yes, there's extremes, but even when somebody calls you, you know, babe or treats you in a certain way, it may not be monstrous, but we say, hey, can you call me by my name? Mm -hmm. Or when someone says, hey, just smile. No, that's not monstrous, but please don't make me put on a show for you so you feel better. So yes, we know the nuances, but it all can be spoken and it's not a mob. Yeah. And just to reiterate your point... He had a few tough days there, and he was, you know, and then he, he went was, back to work. Then he went back to work. All right, last so. last clip. I don't know. We're almost an hour in, so okay. maybe we'll just do this one real quick. Okay. So, a chapter one of our book is the untruth of fragility, and the great untruth is what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So, if you were to be exposed to writing that questioned your dearest beliefs, if you were exposed to a bad word. Um, um, you know, a racial slur in in Mark Twain, let's say, but this could be damaging. And so we have to protect kids from it. Uh, The idea here is that kids are fragile, not anti-fragile. They don't grow from adversity. They are scarred by it. And if we let that, if if we teach kids that, then they will fear, they will learn to fear negative experiences and that will make them weaker and more fragile. Yeah. And this is where safe spaces and trigger warnings and microaggressions have become currency. And that's it. 
Well, and they really go into a lot. And again, we there's no way we can do this quickly. They go into microaggressions and how the word isn't right and how safe spaces aren't necessary. And none of that, there's no absolutes about that. It's again, the pendulum. Yep. Microaggressions, like the word, or if you don't like the word, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, it's like, why do we have the phrase death by a hundred paper cuts or whatever, a thousand paper cuts? It's because we can be offended over and over, like it can be little things that add up in our life that become a belief or yeah. a feeling or feeling offended constantly and yeah. chronically. And that's a real thing. It's yeah. not something that people are being, and, and then safe spaces. I think the intention of safe spaces is like one of the best examples that I don't have an answer for is if you are going to talk about something like um, uh, Tom Sawyer and the N-word is used in Tom Sawyer Mm -hmm. and you're going to teach it and say, well, I'm just going to teach it straight up. Uh, You know, my kids are just going to have to deal with what the word is and, you know, they're going to have to deal with that. That's not taking into consideration that there may be only one or two African-American children in your class. And that hearing that word while reading that book is highly offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's offensive to everybody, but painful and and carries a weight that can't be understood. And that we do need to take that into consideration. Yeah. Does that mean that we never, ever read Tom Sawyer again? No. But we can honor and respect the fact that there are children or young adults that we need to consider how they feel we, in that room. In every single circumstance... Impact must be measured. Yes. And in in the scenario you just came up with, there, I would assume there would be a significant impact on a man or a woman of color in a classroom of mostly white kids. You bet there is. Reading Huck Finn. Yeah. I, so that needs to be measured. And then, you know, pick out any of the other scenarios we talked about that. But intention is also a consideration as well. Right. It's it's the pendulum, back and forth, back and forth, exactly. back and forth. And this is the thing. Do we burn Tom Sawyer and mm-hmm. Huck Finn? No. no, because that's our history. But do we take some thoughtful um, steps on how when to teach teaching it, best? it? You bet. Yeah. And you take into consideration who's in that room and, and, and have a, a respect for how we speak about things instead of plowing ahead and saying, I shouldn't have to change the way I'm doing things. Yeah. That's, again... Just to, I know you're trying to jump into the um, the marketing portion. Is that mm. what you would call that? I'm going to close the show. Close the show. Those. So I just want to end by saying that these, you know, as you can tell by the discussion Todd and I have, we don't have any final answers on this. There's no like, well, that means this then, or this person's good, or this person's right, or this person's wrong. None of that is the case. It's that can we consider lots of different perspectives? Can we honor people's pain, whether it be physical or emotional, can we also use our common sense yep. and not overtly hurt people because of a we want a prestigious position? And can we um, also take into account, have our own self-awareness when we're impacted by something that we first look into ourselves of why that impacted me, also share that it impacted you, and then, you know, maybe grow from that place, from yeah. both of those, you know. So I think that this is an ongoing discussion. It's part of being human. And even though many of us would like to find absolute answers, there aren't any. Well, that's what I was going to say. We should name the show There's No Right Answer. There's No Right Answer. We have none of them. I bet you in the 450 shows we have, we have one called There's No Right Answer. Probably, because it seems like that's what we talk about more often than not. So, Hey, I want to tell you one more thing before you move on. Um, happy eight-year anniversary today. 
We started Zen Parenting December 16th, eight really? years ago. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Eight years. So we probably record our first one because I think it came out January 2nd. I think we did our first advertising about it oh. on December 16th, oh, yeah. meaning we launched Showed Zen up. Parenting yeah, got mm-hmm. it, got it. and said we have Thanks, this show. sweetie. You want to talk about the conference? Yes. Um, so basically, we have our conference um, March 8th and 9th. Um, it is, you know, next year. We're so excited. If you did not hear about all of our amazing speakers, go back and listen to last week's show. But uh, just for overview, we have Glennon Doyle, we have Abby Wambeck, we have Devorah Heitner, um, who, by the way, Devorah Heitner, her husband came out with a new podcast. Yay. I know. And it's about, it's called An Arm and a Leg, and it's about our healthcare system. Okay. And he has some really interesting stories on there and kind of a different perspective or a hopeful perspective. So for those of you who love podcast, Deborah, it's called An Arm and a Leg. Um, so anyway, there's that. And then we have Julie Lithcott Hames. Um, we have Jamal Cole. We have Alexandra Solomon. We have John Duffy. And we have Karen Brody. All of those people are going to be at our conference. We are blown away by them, um, by the work they do, and just, you know, having them as our guests. Um, And so get your tickets. Early bird ends in like a week and a half, Todd. That's right. Get it in now. December 31st. So if you're planning on coming. Don't be a schlep rock. Come to the conference and don't. uh, Don't pay that extra 50 bucks. Don't pay full price. That's, That's dumb. Get your ticket now, and then you're just set. <clears throat> Are you ready for a Zen friend? Let's hear it. We have one Zen friend. Oh, did you name yes. this person? Um, her name is Michelle Wilkes. Okay, I know her. Yes. You do. Her nickname, according to Todd Adams, is Michelle Wilkes Chamberlain. Oh, jeez. Get it? Yes. Uh, it's just we have not two. Good. We have two new team Zen members. If you didn't like that one, you're going to hate the next two. Oh boy, uh, Annie Van Rensburg. That's her name. Okay. Uh, I've nicknamed her Annie Minivan Rensburg. Get it, Minivan? I kind of do, but and this one's even worse. Heather Monroe. Okay. Heather, not the one from Too Close for Comfort, Monroe. <laughs> Wasn't that his name? Yes. But do you think that makes them, because the whole point of the I think it makes them feel outstanding. Is to make them feel valuable, and yeah. you're just messing with their names. No, Heather, not the one from Too Close for Comfort, Monroe. Okay. What was the name of that guy? Monroe. No, no, the real the actor. actor. Dan something? Um, yeah, uh, no, isn't it like Jimmy James or, I don't know. I don't think it was Jimmy James. Uh, something like that. This is the theme song to Too Close for Comfort. I recognize it. Ted Knight. Kind of not a good show, wasn't it? Well, I don't think we had a lot of choices back then. Because you know what he did for a living? I remember he was a, a cartoonist. And he would write with a puppet on his hand. He would write with the puppet. <laughs> Do you remember? No. He would like put the the... Oh, yeah, Pencil. Ted Knight, right there. He's got a cow. Yes, in the cow's mouth, yeah. and then he would do his cartoons. Yeah. And he had two daughters, and, of course, they had to be stereotypical. One was brunette and smart, and one was blonde and not smart. Um, and then his wife. Like, we, it was a very stereotypical show. And then Monroe was kind of like a Jack Tripper character. Sweetie, Monroe was not close to Jack Tripper. <laughs> I, That's, like, blasphemous. Well, it's like a typical... It's like a... I think the show's just found something that worked and just 
and kept doing it, kept even doing though it. it was a bad show and we kept watching it. Well, yeah. Uh, we got an iTunes review from Elkie Cora from Australia. Thank you for sharing your world with others. So many bites of wisdom. I enjoy your podcast as a self-care mother. Treat for a, a lovely reminder. We are not alone trying to be the best humans we can be. We are not. Peace and love. And then good old Mart Happy from Canada. That's a great name. Mart Happy. I know. I've been listening for about two years now and it has a positive impact on my life. I've learned things about connecting with my three kids and gender issues that have truly made me a better husband and father. Thank you for all that you do. Wasn't that nice? Very nice. Uh, and I'd like to uh, thank uh, two conference sponsors, Todd Adams Coaching. <laughs> uh, if you're a guy out there and you want to work on yourself or your relationship or your work-life balance, uh, give me a call. Check out ToddAdamsCoaching.com. And then the other one is ta- uh, the TribeMensGroup.com. So basically you're thanking yourself twice. I'm thanking myself twice. We have two spots open left for the uh, uh, Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. And to learn more about that, go to the thetribemensgroup.com. Um, and then I want to talk about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He's our uh, partner, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Anything else, sweetie? That was great, Toddy. Thank you. Um, well, I'm just thanking our sponsors. I, yeah, I understand. You're just doing what you got to do. Um, I will just say um, that's all. Are we doing a show for, because uh, Christmas Day is when the next show would come out. Will there be a show that day? Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to do one this week. Okay, great. So everybody, if you need like something to listen to while you travel from family to family yeah. on you know over the holidays, yeah, we'll have something for you. And join Team Zen before we fill up. We're not going to fill up. We're not going to fill up, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, our team is like crazy good. Yeah. They're just good people. And you get to see me uh, do videos of my rabbit meditating. That'll bring them in. Yeah. So don't forget, if you um, if you want a hat with a ball on the top for Christmas. I think it's for a palm. The holidays. I think it's a palm. Whatever, a palm. Just go to the website and buy it. It's really cute. That's right. Adios, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime. You choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More, more on that later. 
Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios.